Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Friday, August 18th. Uh, Great show today. Got Dan Miller coming on uh, from Fox 2 Detroit. Going to talk some Lions football with him. Play-by-play announcer for the Lions as well. Uh, Do a really good deep dive with him about all things uh, Lions, their offseason, preseason so far, and, you know, what the expectations are next year going in for them as well. Uh, Before then, though, guys, we have some uh, preseason started last week. Uh, Just under three weeks until uh, kickoff for the regular season. Uh, with the Lions uh, and uh, Kansas City, Lions at Kansas City Thursday night in three weeks. Uh, any big takeaway, guys, so far with uh, with, with preseason that we have uh, just this past week? I wouldn't say anything huge has really happened because, I mean, most of the guys don't even play to begin. But I guess the one concern I do have is the Jets' offensive line and. Anytime you have to say this is not a story, it probably is one. You know, they didn't look that great against the Panthers, and I realize Aaron Rodgers didn't play in that game, but that's the one area of concern that I have for this team. I think they're one of the best defenses in the league, maybe one a top-five defense. They've got a great backfield with Dalvin Cook and uh, Michael Carter and, of course, Brees Hall. The wide receiver room, I think, is really good, but Garrett Wilson, I think, is going to be a top-10 fantasy receiver this year. You've got Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb coming in to give some leadership. I think they're really good everywhere except the offensive line, but that could be something that sinks this team this year. So that would be an area of concern I have. The guy that I've been impressed with is Dorian Thompson-Robinson for the Browns. I think he should be the backup quarterback. We've seen him now through two games in preseason, look very sharp and really looked better than Deshaun Watson did throughout much of the end of last year. Now, obviously, Watson's going to be QB1, but I see no reason why DTR can't be QB2 ahead of Joshua Dobbs, who's just kind of been hanging on to a roster spot for the last five or six years or so. So those would probably be my two big takeaways from the early part of the preseason. Yeah, I have. I mean, preseason's all about quarterbacks a lot of the times. Um, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson both struggled uh, early on. Uh, they played pretty poorly despite limited action in their first few their first starts in the preseason. Uh, both uh, threw an interception in their first uh, starts of the preseason. It's a small sample size. It's hard to say either way. Um, I mean, they're, they're going to bounce back, obviously. But yeah, C.J. Stroud and Anthony Anthony Richardson uh, didn't play the greatest uh, in their first uh, preseason game. Like I said, both had an interception. That's that's pretty much my biggest takeaway. Uh, my only other takeaway, not really a rookie, well, not not a rookie at all, but Justin Fields, I think he's going to have a really good breakout year this year coming up. I th- we talked about it a little bit with Dan Miller coming up in, in the interview with him. Uh, you know, saying the vision obviously as the as the Lions, but uh, yeah, Justin Fields, I think is going to have a really good year. Uh, had an amazing uh, pre his first preseason game, had an amazing game, uh, and yeah, I I really think that uh, Justin Fields is going to come. You know really turn some heads this year and have a breakout year. Justin, anything for you? Uh, any big takeaways for preseason so far? Like I said, it's uh, way too early and games don't matter. A lot matter, of tryouts, but... obviously, for yeah. pretty much every team. Big Eagles guy. It. Jalen Carr looks good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. Defense, uh, early favorite, people are already saying, like I said, too early, but people are already saying he's a pretty much a, looks like a favorite to be defensive rookie of the year. Uh, 
on his first snap, he applied pressure to Ravens quarterback and was seconds away from a sack. Um, you know, all the camps and training, training, uh, all the reports from training camp, excuse me, so far, you know, highlighting his ability, how good he's playing, how good he looks. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited for Jalen Carter and uh, I guess the rest of that Georgia defense, as you can call it, <laughs> for the Eagles to, <laughs> to really shine this year. And, uh, you know, yeah. To, to look good but any other takeaways before we move on uh before we move on to the, the next topic guys i know it's like like i said we have a, two more preseason games to go two more weeks of preseason and you know then it'll be you know there'll be more storylines to come yeah jordan love did look pretty good in his first start against the Bengals. his first couple drives uh first drive actually went down and scored looked pretty composed hung in the pocket well and you know you can't take away uh, those reps from him, and obviously we know what he's stepping into when the last two regular Packer quarterbacks were Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers who combined to play uh, oh, almost 30 years together. Brett Favre played 15, Aaron Rodgers played 14 years. So we're, we're basically at the point where it's like Pittsburgh Steelers head coaches where they've only had three in 50 years. That's where we're at with the Packers right now. We need to see that version of Jordan Love. If we see that, then the Packers are going to be just fine because the rest of the roster is not that bad, and they're in a division that is very winnable. Yeah, um, definitely. It's you know we'll see what happens obviously as time goes on, but uh, that's you know like we also talked about him a little bit with Dan Miller coming up as well. Also the same division, obviously the Packers and the Lions. So yeah, well I'm excited to see it. That's going to be one of the most interesting divisions. I think one of the most tight divisions I think this year coming up is the uh, NFC North, and you know what's going to happen there. Uh, I think really any team I think could win the division. I, the Packers might have. Uh, the Packers might be one of the least favorite teams to win the division. I would say out of the four of them, out of the Vikings, the Lions, Bears, and the Packers, the Packers might be the least favorite to win it, but by, by no means are they out of it. And like I said, that, that division really is anyone's to win this year. Yeah, it's up for grabs, totally. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, even I, the I, NFC South, obviously. I saw the yeah, Falcons <laughs> for and reason. the Saints. So what do we think? Desmond Ritter could be interesting this year for the Falcons at yeah. quarterback. And could that be. could be an interesting offense as well. You look at B. John Robinson, you look at Drake London, and you look at the weapons they got, they could be on their way up offensively. Yeah. Uh it's kind of, you know, they'll be a little they'll be a little bit more, more tight for an op, an opposite reason. I think NFC North will have a lot more wins under their belt than the NFC South. But uh it's, yeah, I agree. We'll also be a tight division and we'll see what happens there. Kind of talk about, you know, with our interview with Dan coming up. Uh, pretty. It's a pretty uh safe bet to think that the wild cards are most likely going to come from the NFC North or South. Yeah, NFC North and the NFC East. Uh, the three wild card spots. I can't really see them coming from the other divisions in the NFC. I think uh, the West with the 49ers and the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks. Be. I would could. probably favor the Seahawks over the other three teams right now in the NFC North. Yeah. Yeah. I well, I guess Geno. Yeah, Geno Smith did have a breakout year last year, so. Um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see him play good again, you know, fellow West Virginia guy. So, yeah, best of luck to him. We'll continue on with football. Uh, big news that broke out. We'll we'll keep big 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 news, but kind of old at this point. We'll keep it pretty brief. But Michael Orr, uh, the NFL player dramatized in the Blind Side uh, this week, asked a Tennessee court to end his legal relationship with a two of uh, the two E family. Um, they took him into his name and navigated his foster care system and went on to become, helped him become a football star in the NFL. 
Uh, yeah. Basically, Ower saying that he got tricked into signing an agreement to make the couple his conservators, uh, giving giving them authority to make his business decisions and allowing the family to profit off of his story and his life in the blind side, which the blind side grossed uh, $309 million in the box office. Uh, so this interesting story, uh, you know, the joke that's going around, uh, the Tui family probably wouldn't have draft or probably wouldn't have given much interest or given much attention if he was a five foot, you know, 150 pound guy, uh, you know, but given that he was such a good football player, uh, you know, they gave him a lot of attention, but now it looks like he's getting taken advantage of. Do you guys have any thoughts on this, this, this story that came out this week? It is interesting why it's coming out now, obviously, you know, compared to Mm -hmm. when the movie came out, that's what, that's what nobody's really saying. I mean, that was 13 years ago. I believe the movie came out in 2010 and that, that won a lot of awards. So I'm shocked he didn't came out, didn't come out then and say that the movie was, that the story and the legal relationship was falsified. Yeah, well, well, he, he did say that he was not a fan of how he was portrayed in the movie, which should have been the first red flag because this is supposed to be a feel-good story, and if he doesn't like how he was portrayed, then something ain't quite right there. But no, there's no doubt about it. the Tui's really screwed him, screwed him over. You know, they just sold a bunch of uh, restaurants for a fortune. Th- these weren't the poor people that are just doing a nice thing. They were rich. They knew exactly what they were doing. They wanted this kid to play at Ole Miss, and they 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 just happen to be some of the biggest boosters that Ole Miss has, and he just happened to funnel Michael Orr to the Ole Miss football program. So it, it's just a shameful situation all the all the way around. And Michael Orr, I kind of have some questions about him too because he has not raised this issue before, and he seemed to be fine with the conservatorship, and you know he's talked in the past about the two E's and being grateful to them and all that kind of stuff. So. In some ways, it seems like maybe he lost his NFL fortune, so he's trying to get some of his money back. But it, this is one of those that I don't think anybody comes out of this looking good. Yeah, he – well, the reason he waited until now – well, not waited until now, but the reason it came out at this particular time is because it happened on the day his book comes out. His his um, his um book with Don Yeager, uh, When Your Back's Against the Wall, it just came out last week, the day that he came out with this story accusing the Tui family of doing all this. So why did he wait so long? I don't know, but it kind of does give some in- indication as to why he came out the day that he came out. Just some other, you know, just I guess if you want to call them stats or information on this whole thing is, you know, in 2007, OR signed a contract with uh, 20th Century Fox, which... He didn't really know at the time, but it gave away his story rights without any payment whatsoever. Um, you know, according to his petition, uh, Leanne and Sean Tui, the, the parents in the movie that, you know, kind of put him in the put him in the foster system and helped him out. Uh, they profited by giving their oh, both of their biological children $225,000 each and two and a half percent of the film's net proceeds. That's what their biological children got. Um yeah, it's just a, it's just a, you know, it's just a murky situation altogether, and uh, yeah, it's, it's tough to see when it happens. But like you said, Zach, there were definitely red flags beforehand. Uh, both sides didn't really seem too genuine on the whole thing. Like you even mentioned too, again, Michael Orr definitely was not saying this ten years ago. He uh, was had a whole different mind frame and a whole different demeanor with the whole situation. So it's interesting that this is all coming out now. Yeah. 
We'll switch gears though. Um, again, kind of rapid fire at this point. Not really, not a whole lot going on this week. FedEx Cup recap. Uh, week one in the books. Week two going on right now. Um, Lucas Glover, uh, week one winner of the FedEx Cup, fought through the heat. And other of the 69 best golfers of this season, the PGA, um, won the first leg of the FedEx playoffs. Uh, Pat Glover had to go into the playoffs with Patrick Cantley, obviously ended up beating Patrick Cantley in those playoffs. Uh, this win marked the sixth time that uh, of Glover's career and his second in many weeks. Um, what are you guys thinking about that? Any, any takeaways from the first week of, the, of this FedEx Cup? Any takeaways, yeah. major takeaways? Yeah, Lucas Glover's playing probably the best golf of his career because he did win the 09 U.S. Open, but we really haven't heard much from him since. And now back-to-back weeks, his punting has been sublime. I mean, you watch the final round on Sunday. He was making 10-foot, 11-foot par putts just to keep himself on track. And he had a time where he didn't really hit the ball that well, but he saved himself with the short game, and that kept him kind of afloat. The other big story was Lucas Glover's pants. I don't know if you saw Throughout the round, it was like 95 degrees, whatever. He had uh-huh. some swamp ass going on down there where <laughs> he didn't wear the right color pants. That's where you wear that's uh-uh. where, where that's where you wear white pants in the future if you're Lucas Glover. So keep that in mind. But Justin Thomas also not making the top 50 was a bit of a surprise considering, you know, he has not played all that well as of late. And so it's kind of kept caught up to him. And he's at a point where he's got to. He's got to ask some questions and look at himself in the mirror because we've seen some sh- some scores in the 80s. We've seen him miss a couple of cuts at majors. And this is a guy who just won a PGA Championship last year and is thought of as one of the best golfers on the planet. And now he's probably not going to make the Ryder Cup team because of it. Yeah. And it's, yeah, surprising stuff. But Glover, like like you said, I agree. Definitely playing the best golf right now. Cantley is number, as it stands right now, uh, day two in the books. In the, in the second round of the FedEx Cup playoffs, Cantley's actually number two overall ranked in the FedEx Cup uh, rankings. But, you know, Glover, just going back to him, um, two weeks ago, he was 100, uh, like plus 100 in the FedEx Cup playoffs. You know, he had to basically go into that last week uh, and play that last weekend just to even get into the FedEx Cup playoffs. And now after this win last week, he's uh, four overall. Which is well, he he was four overall when the week ended, uh, you know, last weekend. But I'm not really sure what he is at this exact moment. But yeah, I mean, just talk about quite the jump from barely even making the FedEx Cup to now being probably, I would even say at this point, at least top ten, even despite what it is right now. So yeah, just amazing stuff. Just one other thing I had written down about this uh, is now the first golfer over forty to win a, Red- a FedEx Cup playoffs. Um, First time since Tiger Woods did it back in 2018. So, yeah, since since the 2018, nobody over the age of 40 has won a FedEx Cup event. Um, yeah, but like you said, Zach, playing the best golf he, he is right now. Uh, as it stands, uh, in the second weekend of the FedEx Cup playoffs, uh, play is over for today, for Friday, heading into the weekend. Max Homa is actually up uh, minus 10. Max Homa is in first place. Chris Kirk in... Uh, second with minus eight, and then uh, Brian Harmon, Matt Fitzpatrick's tied at minus seven, and then uh, next place would be Warren McIlroy at minus five, and he's tied with a lot of other people at minus five as well, including uh, Ricky Fowler. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm excited to see uh, how how the weekend turns out, and um, you know who ends up winning this week, and what the what the 
rankings are as we head into the final week of the FedEx Cup. I think it's 30 advanced, right, Zach? You said 30 advanced? Top 30. Yep, top, top 30, 30 go to Atlanta for the Tour Championship. Yeah. Uh, soccer. Um, the World Cup, Women's World Cup finals are this weekend. We have the third place game tomorrow morning, and then uh, the finals obviously will be that uh, Sunday morning. Any um, any big takeaways from the uh, – any big previews you guys have written down for this World Cup finals going on? And we can kind of brush through this pretty fast. I know we're not really soccer heads here. Yeah, not not so much, especially when games are kicking off at 5 a.m. That is uh, that is my sleep time, so I'm typically not getting up unless it is like my team is involved somehow. So mm-hmm. I don't really have a bunch of big takeaways, but – you know, England trying to win their first ever World Cup, and we know how big it is there. And they talked about bringing it home for a long time, and they just might do it this time. Yeah, both teams are playing in their first final. Um, England having lost back-to-back semis uh, in 2015 and 2019, and Spain having won one World Cup match before this year. So, yeah, pretty amazing. Both times, both of these teams have even made the finals in the World Cup. So, uh, yeah, good good for them. It's I think it's going to be a good matchup. Um but yeah, um, England unbeaten in the tournament, having topped Group D, while Spain were runners up in Group C, following a four to nothing loss to Japan. Um, so yeah, well, it's uh, I have nothing really else to really say about this except it's gonna. I think both teams are really uh, good at offense. Uh, both teams don't really play as much defense; are really more of an offensive minded group of players. Um, and so that that'll be a fun matchup. But like I said, I'm not waking up at five o'clock to watch it. And um, maybe I can watch some highlights later. But Justin, before we move on, anything you want to throw into this about the Women's World Cup game? <laughs> I know it's not. There's not a lot to throw in, that's for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, I know we're not really uh, soccer heads here. so. But we'll move on. Uh, just, again, super rapid fire. Uh, my Inter-Miami FC uh, is in the League's Cup Finals. I think it's tomorrow night on Saturday. Uh, Messi has scored, I think, nine goals in his last six games. Arguably, the reason that they are in the League's Cup final, and that's I wouldn't say arguably, I would say he is the reason yeah. they're in there. Yeah, I mean, just he's the reason pretty, they're getting all the amazing. press, too. Yeah, people don't, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, he scored nine goals in six games, but people don't realize just how much pressure he takes off other people as well, just because of how much, how much of a threat he is in the, in the, in the field. But, but yeah, they were at the, Inter Miami, uh, heading into the tournament, they were at the bottom of the table before the League's Cup, um, and so yeah, I mean, this win means that Inter Miami will play in their first ever Concafa Champions League next year. I think when they beat the Union, uh, you know, this past week, the Philadelphia Union, they actually they they did clinch a spot in the Concafa Champions League next year, which I like I said, being in the bottom of the bracket in the League's Cup, entering the tournament, it's pretty amazing that. They're able to get to where they are now, and you know, like we said, Messi is Messi's the reasoning for it. So, well, we'll, we'll see how they can do on Saturday night. Uh, new week's resolutions, uh, Zach. Who's your new week's resolution? My week? new week's resolution is the New York Yankees just need to pull the plug on Brian Cashman. That whole era is over. It's the first time since 1995 they've been below 500 this late into a season. Their off-season moves have just been horrendous. None of them have panned out. And it might have reached the low point on Sunday when they were up 7-3 to going into the bottom of the ninth inning, and they lost to the Marlins 8-7, which, by the way, I don't know if you guys heard about this, 
there was a guy who bet $10 on a 17-leg parlay, and all he needed to do was have the Yankees win, and he would have won $995,000. And nice. they blew a four-run lead in the ninth inning. <laughs> you talk about, like, the, he, Brian Cashman, that's a fireable offense in and of itself. Same goes to Aaron mm-hmm. Boone. You cost this guy a bunch of money. He should super, you, you know, he deserves some financial compensation yeah. out of that. But this is just a team going nowhere and going nowhere fast. I don't think they're going to be a team that's in contention for a couple of years because they've just put all their eggs in the wrong basket. And Brian Cashman hasn't made a good move in a long time, and yet he has a job for life, and I don't understand it. And I don't understand why Hal Steinbrenner is just letting this happen Mm -hmm. because George would have fired both Boone and Cashman about five times over. George Steinbrenner was firing Billy Martin after he won World Series. Like, I the, the contrast is just stark. So if I'm the Yankees, Cashman, Boone, get out of town. And the Yankees need to turn to the demons or to the uh, the heavens of George Steinbrenner and ask George, what do we do to get this franchise to be respectful again? Because the Yankees are the one thing you cannot be in New York. That is irrelevant. I wonder what it was if you would have hedged. If you would have, like, before the Yankees game or even, like, halfway through the Yankees game when they were up. I wonder what it would have been if he would have hedged. If he was even able to at that point. But yeah, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. can you imagine? My, yeah, my new week's resolution would be the Yankees as well. But the ownership, Hal Steinbrenner, I would sell the team. I mean, the Steinbrenners do not put the same emphasis that their father did back in the day. I mean, they would he would have made changes like nobody's business, George Steinbrenner. But I think they're going they're going to get a new owner one of these days. I think with all the money in New York City, all the billionaires. They could sell the team, and I think they they could sell the team five in the next five to ten years. I think Hal could Hal could just say, you know what, I just want to stay in Florida and and collect my money. So let me just sell it to so whoever in New York City. My uh, my new week's resolution is going to be James Harden, uh, specifically the Sixers finding a way to get rid of James Harden uh, in the next coming weeks. Uh, this is the third time since. 2021 that Harden has basically forced his way out of a situation. Um, priorities not clearly established, lack of playoff success when he is, you know, with the team, uh, having, you know, issues with the teams that he's on when he's on them. Yeah, Harden is uh, definitely a cancer when he goes on teams and uh, doesn't really ever seem to be happy where he's at. And so that's my new week's resolution. Sixers have to find a way to get rid of him and, Unfortunately, the more noise he's making, the less they're going to be able to get for him and no one's going to really want him. So I don't know what's going to happen. I, he might sit out. He might just take the pay cut and sit out. Uh, I, he basically said he's not playing for a team that Daryl Moore is a part of. And so that to me, that means he's going to sit. It's going to be pretty expensive for him, but we'll see what happens once the year, once the year uh, kicks off there. And another but, team that needs new ownership. Yeah. Well, they have new owner GM. Ownership's new. Well, the ownership's not new. It's the GM. It's not. <laughs> yeah, Daryl Morey is. I want. I mean, it's funny because people say Daryl Morey is a great GM. I, I I think a lot of people say he's a good GM. Now, obviously, there's people that say he's not, but you you do find a lot of people that like Daryl Morey and think he's done actually a really good job. But it's just the people that the Sixers get and the, that they draft and that they sign just don't you know don't work out. It just be you know this isn't a good situation uh, drama injuries and, and yeah uh, here the Sixers find themselves heading into the next year Joel and B not really having a good sidekick and um, 
yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Sixers next year. Um, after a year of just barely making the finals, and yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, we're going to head on now to our interview with Dan Miller. Like I said uh, prior to the show, great interview with him. Play-by-play announcer for the Lions. Uh, does the sports updates for uh, Fox 2 in Detroit as well. Uh, great interview with him. Really good deep dive into the Lions and what we can expect for, for them next season. Um, so yeah, but without uh, nothing else to say, we're just going to head on to Dan Miller right now in Detroit. Okay, we now head to Detroit and talk to Fox 2's uh, Dan Miller, play-by-play announcer for the Detroit Lions. Uh, Dan, uh, happy to have you on. Really excited to talk some Lions football with you. Uh, Lions might be one of the most exciting teams this year going into the NFL season. Just missed the playoffs last year. I think a lot of people expect them to make the playoffs this year. Let's kind of start with an overall question, and then I'll, you know, we'll get a little bit more specific as we go on here. But what do you think the Lions' record's going to be this season when it's all said and done? And are you pretty confident that they're going to make the playoffs this year? Well, I think they're good. I mean, and, you know, it's, it's hard for me to predict a record because when you're the play-by-play guy, if you say they're going to win seven games, everybody gets angry. If you say they're going to win 12, everybody says you're a homer. So, look, I, I think if you look at this team, look at the depth chart, they're good. Um, they won eight out of 10 to close last year. They did a lot of things right. They defense got better. The offense was top five in the league. So the, and they've, I think, improved the roster significantly since then. And young players that they relied on last year are a year older. And, and you would think hopefully you're better jumping from year one to year two. So, um, look, I, I think there's no hiding from the fact that they're good. I think part of the reason, uh, that they're favored to win the NFC North in a lot of people's eyes is that fact. But it's also, look, Chicago's got questions. Minnesota's got questions. Green Bay's got questions. And the Lions probably have less questions than them. But that doesn't mean that they can't be answered in those other three cities. So you're going to have to go out and earn this thing. Yeah, so Aaron Rodgers leaving, it seems like it really opens the door for just about everybody in the NFC North, but especially the Lions. Like, is this a team that, they feel after winning eight of their last 10, like what really flipped from their one and six start to what they ended up being where they were just a uh, Rams loss or Rams win over the Seahawks away from going to playoffs. Yeah. I mean, look, Aaron Rodgers does open the door because he has been slamming the door on everybody else for years. And, you know, Minnesota snuck a couple in there, but uh, you know, the lions had a chance to do things a couple of years at a week 17 with the Packers a couple of times to win the division. And he found a way to beat them. So uh, I don't think anybody in Detroit's going to miss him. Ton of respect for him. He's an unbelievable player, but certainly that doesn't help Green Bay. We'll see what happens there. I don't, I don't count anybody out. I mean, if you think you know what a team is going to do in August, I, I, I commend you, but I also think it's kind of uh, a fool's errand. But, you know, I, I think, look, um, this team started one and six last year and won eight of their last 10. And if you look at the difference, the main difference was protecting the football. They started not turning it over. Jared Goff had 324 consecutive passes to close the year without throwing an interception. And they started taking the ball away from the opponent. And that was, they, they cut down on penalties, didn't cut them out. They didn't stop making critical ones, but they stopped making them in numbers that they had through the first seven games that had given the other teams extended drives, extra possessions, things like that. And you just can't do that. The margin of victory in this league is too small. And, and number one, the biggest indicator of winning and losing is turning the ball over and taking the ball away. 
and then, you know, not committing penalties that just makes life easier for the opposition. So um, it, it really wasn't anything magical. It was cutting down on the type of mistakes they're pretty much guaranteed to get you beat in the NFL or at least make it very difficult to overcome. Do you think the Lions are ready to handle expectations? Because it's different winning 8 of 10 when everybody kind of counts you out and, you know, you have a chance to sneak into the playoffs. Ultimately, they didn't do that. But now for the first time in a long time, there's actual expectations. They're being picked to win the North. Like, if they don't do that, people will probably look at it as a bit of a disappointment. So is this team ready to handle the expectations that come with the success that they had last year and try to actually get over the top this time? It's a great point, and it's a great question, and we're all going to find out together. And Dan Campbell has talked from the beginning, and the players have talked from the beginning about the fact they haven't done anything. I mean, they didn't make the playoffs. They didn't win a playoff game. So, yeah, you can talk about what's expected of them. They still haven't done anything. So that's kind of the attitude that they're taking as they've come into camp. And believe me, expectations were one of the first things that, that people asked Dan Campbell about. So um, I, the answer is, I don't know. I love the way they're handling it. I love the way they're discussing it. I love the way they're approaching it, all those things. But you have to go out and do it. And, and that's I've probably said that so many times. Somebody said I should get a shirt with that on it because, you know, just kind of a twist on the Nike thing. You got to go do it. And it's when they get to Kansas City to open the season on that Thursday night, nobody's going to put 10 points on the scoreboard because of what they think the Lions are. They're going to have to go out there and earn everything they get. So, I mean, look, we've been through some things in Detroit. We've seen some things and, and seen some disappointment in tough times. And uh, that's why I think, you know, the national hype is, is more significant sometimes than what we get here locally, because I think people in Detroit are of the mind, okay, we like what we see, but go do it and show us. And I think that's that's really what Dan Campbell has put on his team. Look, we know we're good. We've earned these expectations, but now we got to go deliver on them. We'll just get the Kansas City game out of the way because it's the kickoff game. What does it mean for the Lions to have been chosen to participate in the season opening game against the defending Super Bowl champs? Because this is not something that would have happened to the Lions years ago. Didn't even happen during the Calvin Johnson days. Didn't happen during Matthew Stafford days. Like, How big is it for Detroit? Like, Not that they've arrived because they got chosen to be the opener against the Chiefs, but is it a big deal in Detroit that they were? Yeah, it is. It is. There's no doubt. I mean, look, uh, you're right. They, they wouldn't put that on a team that they thought was going to finish – you know, five and 12. And we, we've heard the complaints for years about people with the Lions playing on Thanksgiving that they weren't good enough. And they don't give a good show. So we understand that people, when a team is in the national spotlight, there are certain expectations that are put on them. The NFL schedule makers didn't do this by accident. They did it because they think Detroit is a team on the rise. And they think Detroit's going to be a competitive matchup for Kansas City to open the 2023 season. Nobody did it thinking Kansas City is going to win this game 42 to 10. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. But to your point, yes, it, it is taken as a compliment. It is taken as a challenge, but not lost on anybody that it's also taken as an indication of how people have changed the way they view the Detroit Lions organization. Yeah, and I think Zach made a good point earlier about this is the first time they really had expectations on them coming into the season. Uh, that being said, I mean, defense was atrocious last year. Their offense, as you said, Dan, was really good, actually. I think top five or I think four in yeah, uh, top total five, yards yeah. and I think like top seven in total passing yards. And, you know, we'll get to Jared Goff in a second here. But 
has their defense improved this offseason and uh is it going to be enough to kind of get them over that hump to the to the playoffs well i think if you look at it it improved last year i I think if you look at yeah they were still down 30 32 depending upon what you're looking at passing running total um but if you look at the way that they played as they finished the season versus the way they played at the beginning of the season they were getting off the field they were taking the ball away and they were better in terms of allowing points So I think the improvement started last year. I think the improvement this year comes from five rookies that played pretty significant roles for that team towards the end of last year getting better. And that's, that's, you know, front to back from, from Aiden Hutchinson and Josh Paschal and James Houston to Kirby Joseph in the back end. And, and, you know, we'll see how much Rodriguez plays at linebacker. He's in a battle there for some playing time, but they had a lot of rookies playing last year that played significant roles and they're back this year, and you often hear people say, hey, biggest jump for an NFL player year one to year two. They're hoping that's the case. So far, these guys look pretty good in camp. And then I think that they, they, they went out and made a concerted effort to improve their secondary, and they really turned that whole thing over, getting C.J. Gardner-Johnson, getting Cam Sutton, uh, Emmanuel Mosley not playing yet, but he'll be around at some point coming off a, an ACL in San Francisco, getting Tracy Walker back from an Achilles injury. Their secondary is going to have a completely different look than it did last year with Kirby Joseph a holdover, but he was terrific as a rookie and, and showed the kind of ball skills they thought he had when they drafted him. And then, you know, Jerry Jacobs in there right now, one of the other starting cornerbacks. So, look, I think it's improvement from within, and I think it's going out and getting some veterans that have played under bright lights, been in big situations, understand what it is, and clearly upgrading that secondary that, that you can look at to say, okay, this is where that defense can be better. And I, I'll be honest, I think that defense has a chance not only to be better, but to be good and to be part of the reason they win, not just part of the reason you know, that you can survive or just you know, be good enough. Uh, but again, you got to do it. And that, that last two years, they've been terrible against the run. And when you can't stop the run, and again, better in the second half of the season, but when you can't stop the run, it's tough to make a living in the NFL because the other team's dictating everything to you. But um, I I think you're going to see a lot of growth on that side of the ball. Yeah, they can't be much worse than last year. I mean, uh, ranked 28 in points per game, uh, 25, uh, and last in total yards per game uh, with just over 392. So, yeah, I mean – their defense, like I said, really can't get much worse than it was last year. And if that can even improve just a little bit with also not starting the year off, you know, one in six, they definitely have a chance to make the playoffs. Is there a lot of pressure on the Gi- or on the Lions beginning of the season? Get like given that they started off the season so bad yeah. last year, or is is there way more of a tension on the first half of the season for Lions fans? Because it's all obvi- it's an obvious statement that they would have made the playoffs last year if they didn't start the season off so bad so are the fans way way more concerned about the beginning of the year than they are uh second half of the year well i think kansas city gets your attention when you have to open the season Mm -hmm. there there's no doubt about that then you come back and play a playoff team in seattle so i don't know if it's necessarily that there's pressure but i think it's a cautionary tale i think you realize that if you dig yourself a hole in this league there's there's no guarantee you're going to get out of it so i think they understand what happened but I think it's, it's, if you're better, it's more organic. It's not just that you're good at the beginning of the year. It's that you're good, period. I mean, they didn't play good football last year in terms of having a chance to win those games. So they needed to play better than they did. I think if, if they play the way 
in the second half of the year that if they push that to the first half, you don't start one and six. You win some of those games. So I think overall you can say, yeah, you need to start better. But I think it's more just a simplistic thing of you have to be better. And if you are better and handle your business the way they did late, then the record takes care of itself. So let's get into Jared Goff. What really has impressed you about him? Because I think when the trade happened a couple of years ago, people kind of looked at it as, oh, he's going to be a bridge quarterback until they end up drafting the next guy, whoever that is. But it seems like Jared Goff has been the next guy the last couple of years, 29 touchdowns, seven interceptions last year. What impresses you the most about him? A lot. Um, and remember, the guys that traded for him in Brad Holmes and Ray Agnew, the top two guys in the Lions personnel department, were the guys that were part of drafting him in L.A. So they right. knew what they were getting and where everybody was saying he's a placeholder. I, I think they truly believed that he could be their guy, and that's why they made that deal, and that's why they took him. Didn't mean it was guaranteed, but I think they believed in Jared Goff more than a lot of other people. Look, I think year one, Jared was shell-shocked. I think you get dumped out of L.A., they give up on you, you're traded for a guy who goes out there, and for the first half of the season, you're not winning anything in Detroit, literally. And the guy in L.A. that you got traded for is, is a contender for MVP of the league. And they're just rolling along. So I think there was a lot going through his head that I think he was trying to figure out. I think he got really comfortable last year. I think he and Ben Johnson clicked when he became the offensive coordinator midway through his first year or, or took over a lot of those duties. Uh, and then got the job full-time after the season. And then I think last year, look, it wasn't a great start for Jared. They scored a lot of points, but they also turned the ball over. And I think if you look at what he did in the second half of the season, I mean, he's in shouting distance of a record for consecutive passes without an interception. He's got 324 in a row. Um, and he took this offense to a top-five season and you know, had them doing things we haven't seen around here in a long time. Offensive line is what this team is built around. They did a good job of protecting him. It's the best running game we've had in Detroit since Barry was here. So I think that there's a lot of things that worked in Jared's favor. But most of all, I think Jared just got comfortable. and got comfortable with the city, with the offense, with the situation, with, with being a lion, with all those things. And, and you saw that in him. It was almost you know visible that he was just so much more at home. And look, for anybody in Detroit that wants to look at Jared Goff and say, oh, he's just a bridge guy, he's not this. Look, Jared Goff has done things we've dreamed about in Detroit. He's won multiple playoff games. He's been to a Super Bowl. And I think Jared Goff is good enough to get you into the playoffs and to do damage there if you have the, the right team around him. I mean, he may not be that guy like a Mahomes that just takes a team and, and, and can do it on his own, but there's not many of those guys around. I do think Jared Goff is in that next tier of guys that you absolutely can win with, in particular when you've got the kind of pieces around him that this team has got. And they've done a really good job of building up the team around him. And Jared last year just really did a great job of leading that offense, and the numbers tell that story. I'm surprised yeah. Ben Johnson's still there because there were people talking about him maybe for a head coaching job, and he seems like a prime candidate if the Lions repeat their offensive performance this year. He'll probably get a head coaching job after the season. It was a good day when it came across Twitter that Ben Johnson was staying, I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's, you know, look, he's terrific, and he is one of the brightest offensive minds in this league. And um, I don't know if he would have gotten a job last year if he had taken this to the end instead of kind of just – he did some interviews, and they said, you know what, I'm good, I'm going to stay right here. And I, I don't know if that's because he felt like he'd be good for another year uh, and that he would benefit from another year. He's still a young guy. 
and and hasn't you know he's been a coordinator for a year so I think that he's going to benefit from this I think the Lions 100% benefit from still having him here and we'll see what the future holds but he's absolutely built for being a head coach I think he will be a head coach at some point it just depends on you know when that opportunity and and his desire align but there's nobody that's unhappy that Ben Johnson decided to stay in Detroit. And I, I bet you Jared Goff and Dan Campbell are right at the top of that list. Yeah, they have a beefed up running back room, too. Now, uh, drafted Jameer Gibbs this year, uh, signed David Montgomery. So even the running back uh, situation is going to be better uh, for, the, for the Lions this year. I think they ranked both 10 in total rushing yards last year and yards per game. Both Both were ranked 10 in rushing. And uh, we already know their passing and their total points per game were pretty high up there. So now even the rushing attacks can get better for the Lions. Let's go back to Jared Goff, though. Do you think that he would be a clear top 10 if the Lions were better, a top 10 quarterback? I mean, you mentioned his 324 consecutive passes without interception um, on mark for NFL record, but def- definitely at least a franchise history record. No it surprise. Is, yep. Also, no surprise. Uh, he led the league last year in touchdown to interception ratio, which, uh, with you know, 324 consecutive passes without an interception, is not not a surprise there. What are your thoughts? Do you think he would be a top, a, a clear top ten? I mean, I think he's at least a top fifteen now. People would, I don't think people would argue that, but do you think he would be a a, a, t- a clear top ten if the Lions were a consistently competitive team, playoff team? You know what, like. Well, I mean, winning elevates everybody. Winning mm-hmm. elevates the way people look at your players. And there's no doubt that that, that has impacted golf and, you know, winning three games his first year and then getting things turned around last year. Look, uh, from my vantage point, sitting and watching him and calling those games, you'd have, a, you would, I'll argue with you all night, he was a top 10 quarterback last year um, with the way he played. And you might even be able to go higher than that. Um, I don't know what the exact number is, but I saw what Jared did last year. I saw 29 and seven. I saw the way he played without throwing interceptions and moving this offense up and down the field. I saw a top five scoring offense. So I'm not sure what more he can do. Um, He repeats this year what he did over the last 10, 12 games of last year. Um, I don't know how you'd argue that he's not a top 10 quarterback because he just the numbers back that up and the winning backs that up. And, and I just think he's, he's in a really good place right now. Look, it's a big year for him. He's got two years left on his contract. This is the year that probably dictates whether or not he gets a contract extension if they don't work something out here uh, at some point. So uh, there, there's a lot on Jared Goff. The, the, everything lands on the quarterback. So the expectations this team has land on Jared Goff probably more than anybody else, Dan Campbell. Um, and then, you know, also that's an open discussion here. Are the lions going to pay him 40, $45 million a year? I think if Jared Goff goes out, wins the division, wins a playoff game, takes this team, you know, into the postseason looking good. It's, it's hard not to say that he's your guy, but they also just drafted Hendon hooker at some point. That's the discussion that they'll have to have is, you know, how long do we commit to Goff? And how long before we move on? The guy that has the biggest impact on that is Goff. And if he plays the way that he played last year, no doubt in my mind he's going to be here for a long time.
He's only 28, too. He's one of those guys, for some reason, I always think he's older than he is. Like yeah. he's, only, he's only 28 years old. He's still not even, technically not even in his prime yet. I think they say, like, what, 29 is <laughs> your prime athletic years. So, I mean, he def- like I said, he, for some reason, always a guy I think he's older than he is. But, no, only 28 years old. Let's stay on uh, quarterbacks, though. Our, now, one of the wild card spots in the NFC most likely will come out of the North. Um I just say that just that's just my prediction. But are people uh are Lions fans, are they scared of Justin Fields this year? I mean, a lot of people, not not Bears fans particularly, like not Chicago fans, but even just any NFL fan, any football fan are really saying that Justin Fields is gonna really have a breakout year this year. Now, like I said, I know well, one of the wild cards most likely will be the NFC North, so the Lions still will have a chance and they, you know, Vikings are still a problem as well. But are what are the what are the uh, Detroit fans saying about Justin Fields? Are they kind of scared about his, you know, expectations this year? Well, I mean, look, I, that's a big rival in the Bears, and mm-hmm. I, I think if if anything, they they just want to beat him. And I, I will tell you my view on him: um, he's got to learn to hit what he's throwing at, and their passing game has to improve. There's no doubt in my mind he can do that. Uh, it wasn't there last year. But when they get that going in Chicago and they're building a better team around him, he gets to the point where he becomes an accurate thrower that that is confident and that they can rely on. He is going to be a nightmare because his speed is off the charts. His elusiveness is off the charts. And if you couple that with an ability to run, um, man, I'm not going to want to face him on many Sundays. So Look, I think that's that's an open book in Chicago is how far can you bring him in the passing part of the game? Because that is, to me, what was missing last year. But he's done some damage to the Lions. We, we've seen it. Uh, we, we, we got him twice last year. But it, it, along the way, you're on the edge of your seat because you know how explosive he is. I'm, I'm watching him with a, with a lot of anticipation and and – you know, wondering where he's going to go because I have tremendous respect for what he can be, but he's got to fill in the holes in his game. And that is the ability to drop back and and do what a a quarterback has to do in this league. And that's hit what you're throwing at. Um, The Bears clearly are going for it. They spent a lot of money and brought a lot of guys in and they're going to do their best to to build a team around him. But um, I want to see where it goes before I know exactly what he is but I can tell you what he potentially is, and that is one of the most dangerous quarterbacks in this league. Yeah, as an Ohio State fan, I hope he takes the next step, and I think he can do that because uh, obviously he watched every snap Justin Fields played in college, and he, he's a more accurate passer, and people realize I think he will take the next step. But let's go back to the Lions, go back to the Central Division for the NFC North because the last time they won the division, I think it was called the NFC Central in 1993. Uh, the last time they won a playoff game was 1991 when they beat the Cowboys before the Cowboys became that, their dynasty. Um, so is this the most football-starred city in the NFL? Because Cleveland gets all the attention. Buffalo gets all the attention. Minnesota does because they lost four Super Bowls. Like, is there more optimism around the Lions right now than there has been since, I don't know, Barry Sanders retired? and just get into like the is this the most starved city in all football right now i don't know how you'd find one that's more starved i really don't i mean tell me what it is because this team has not won a championship since 1957 and won one playoff game since then and this is a football state 
You know, you can get 65,000 people into Ford Field and, and 100 and whatever, 10, 12 into, into, you know, the big house and get your 85 or whatever it is into Spartan Stadium any given weekend. And it's people love this team. They want to believe in this team, but this team has also broken their heart a lot. This is by far the most optimistic that people have been about a Lions team since the 90s when they were really stacked with talent, which has never could kind of find that quarterback to get them over the top. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, again, show me a city that, that, that is, wants it more, and we'll talk about it. But it's, uh, it's a time for optimism. But I, I think, as we discussed earlier, for Lions fans, it's also because of what they've been through. It's cautious optimism. There is some element of, okay, see it, love it on paper, but show us. And I, and I think that's really what Dan Campbell has tried to pound into his team is, is we need to put this thing in the standings and put this thing on the field versus just, you know, somebody on some website saying that they're the best team in the NFC North. So as it stands right now, Lions uh, have one, four uh, primetime games. So obviously the first game of the season with the Chiefs we talked about week four. Uh, against Green Bay at night, eight week eight Las Vegas, and then week seventeen against Dallas, which uh, might change. That can always get flexed. Um, but yeah, four prime time games against uh, with the Lions this upcoming year. Not something you usually see, and so Lions definitely have a lot of hype coming into them this year. Um, my my last question with the Lions: Has there been any gross overreactions with the first preseason game <laughs> so far uh, on the team? No, I don't think no. so. I mean, most of the guys didn't even play. So, yeah. I mean, most of, you know, most of your starters, you had some rookies in there. Um, you know, Jameer Gibbs did some nice things. He had a couple flashes. He really didn't play that much. Jack Campbell had a couple of nice run stuffs. To, so, I think people were looking at the rookies. Julian O'Quara needed a big game, had three sacks. Um, but I don't think there was much to overreact to just because the guys that you know will be dictating most of what happens on Sunday. Now, look, some of those guys will. Campbell's going to play. Gibbs is going to play. Sam Laporte is going to play. Brian Branch is going to play. They all played last week. But your veterans didn't. So I, I think, look, it was a great crowd. It's best preseason crowd we've seen in Detroit in some time probably. I don't know what the numbers on it were, but uh, it was more full than I, I'm used to seeing there. So people are excited. But no real overreactions just because it's not – look. We went 4-0 in 2008 and finished 0-16. <laughs> People here don't overreact to preseason very often because that's always what you remember. Yeah, so do you have any interesting stories about Dan Campbell? Because he seems like quite the personality. He's just he's exactly what you see. I mean, he is just – he doesn't change. He is, he is the steadiest probably coach I would say I've ever been around in, in 42 years in this business. Um, he is just the same guy you see if you're talking to him in the corner is the same guy you see if he's on the podium is the same guy you see if you're talking to him walking off the field. He's just, there is a steadiness about him. There's an honesty about him where you know where you stand and there's no BS with him. And I think that's what resonates with the players. Um, you know, everybody always wants to talk about the kneecaps and stuff like that, which is fine. I get it. But what people miss is, unfortunately, that was the soundbite that, that people pulled out of a 90-minute press conference in which Dan Campbell introduced himself to Detroit by saying everything they needed to hear. 
This isn't going to be easy. I'm not making you any promises, but we're going to do things the right way. Look, maybe not unlike a lot of coaches say, but it was just unfortunate that everything was kind of painted and he almost became a caricature, which he's not. Um, and I think people found that out. And uh, players love him. Players want to play for him and want to deliver for him. And he and Brad Holmes and Sheila Hamp, the owner, and, and everybody involved with this team have just put the organization in a place that you haven't seen it in a while. There's a comfort. There's a good feeling. There's a good vibe that just hasn't been there. Now you have to see if that adds up to winning, which is ultimately all that matters. All right, Dan. Well, Thursday, uh, opening kickoff for the NFL uh, Lions at Kansas City. Uh, really excited to see how uh, the Lions do this year. A lot of hype for them, and I really hope them the best. The Lions have been, um, you know, we really are excited to see how the Lions do this year. And uh, we'll just see how they how it goes. Um, you know, hopefully get to the playoffs and uh, can finally make that playoff run for the first time in, uh, you know, 1991, like Zach said, right? I think you got a lot of people in Detroit that are available if those dates come up. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I look, it's exciting, but it's um, it, it's going to be fun to just see how it unfolds. And, and we'll you know, we're going to learn something that opening night in front of the entire nation when they play the Chiefs. So, uh, as you mentioned, that's an honor to be chosen for that game. And, and it's one that everybody here is looking forward to. But um, you know what? It, it feels good to know that that you're at least in the conversation. Now you got to go out and deliver on it. I think it'll be fun to you know see how these guys react. Do you think the fans will not overreact if you know Kansas City does what Kansas City does to just about everybody in the league? Like, is it going to be one of those? Obviously, if the Lions win, it's going to be hype's going to be an overdrive. If it's a close loss, like if they lose like thirty-one twenty-eight or something, I think there probably would be some optimism. But is there going to be some? heads turning the other way if the Chiefs just do what the Chiefs do against 90% of the league or are they just going to look at it as well they're playing Patrick Mahomes what are you going to do yeah I, th- I think yeah, look there will be the the Lions because of what fans have been through they they are quick to judge and criticize and you know what I get it and and that's deserved because they've been let down too often so I think the the beautiful thing about the NFL and and what makes it great is that your emotions after a game can feel like they're a final decision. Like you're just done. They stink. Um, I, 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 they'll never recover. And then the great thing about it is you have seven days to get back to it. In this case, 10 days to get back to believing in that team. And I think, look, whatever happens in that game, there'll be an overreaction probably. If they get trounced, the people will say, oh, they're, you know, it's, it's typical Lions, same old Lions. If they get win the game, it's going to be off the charts. But whatever happens, you have to come back and play Seattle. It's a really good team and came in here and beat the Lions last year. You're going to have to play Seattle in week two. So um, whatever happens against Kansas City, there will be a reaction. But the, the reaction will also be built upon changes that happen the next week against Seattle. So, yes. The NFL is built on overreactions, both good and bad, not just here in Detroit, but every place. And, and we will fall into that like everybody else, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah, they have a good chance. By week is week nine. They have a good chance to be seven wins by then. I mean, uh, if they can squeak out between Kansas City, Seattle, as you mentioned, uh, and Baltimore, and even Green Bay, week four is never a team that you can, uh, especially Jordan Love with all the uh, hype that's coming out with him. If they can get 
seven wins out, you know, before week nine, before their bye week, they're going to be in great shape going into the, uh, you know, going into the second half of the season. So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, really excited for the Lions, though, Dan. This has been awesome. Really appreciate your time. Uh, appreciate you guys. Thank do you. Do this again sometime for sure. And we really just, you know, appreciate you coming on, giving us, giving us your time and uh, talking some Lions with us, uh, you know, going into the second week of uh, preseason here. Thanks, Dan. You got it. That interview was brought to you by Philly Drinkers. The Continental Sports Podcast has partnered with Philly Drinkers, the go-to place for the greatest sports clothing that you can get your hands on. They specialize in partying hard and looking great while doing it. Owned and operated by diehard sports fans, they don't just love sports, they love what sports stand for. Most importantly, they understand that you always want to rep your favorite team anywhere you go, whether it be a sporting event or grabbing a couple of drinks with the guys. Their apparel and products always have unique designs and slogans, all while bringing out great vibes. Head to phillydrinkers.com today and get your one-of-a-kind merchandise. Philly Drinkers, always party. Okay, let's finish up the show with our intakes and outtakes of the week. Zach, who's your intake of the week? My intake is Anthony Richardson getting the starting job for my Indianapolis Colts, and it's about time that we actually have a young quarterback to start for this franchise. They've had eight consecutive years, and they've had a different starter every single year. Scott Tolzien, Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett, Matt Ryan, you know, you Philip Rivers, you can go on and on. But the Colts have not had any stability at that position since Andrew Luck was forced to retire in 2019. You look at Anthony Richardson, and I said it on the day of the draft. He has the talent to be the best quarterback in this draft class. Now, he's certainly unpolished. He's only completed 54% of his passes last year at Florida. But no Power 5 school in America had more receivers drop passes than Florida did last year. So the completion percentage number was a little bit worse than it actually should have been. And this guy is an outstanding runner. He's got a cannon for an arm. He's a tall guy. There is nothing in Anthony Richardson's toolbox that suggests that he's going to be a bust of a quarterback. Now, I will say, he tied the record for fewest starts ever for a college quarterback before being a top-five pick. The record was held by Mitch Trubisky. He's not had a great NFL career. So Anthony Richardson is one of those guys that he could be boom or bust, but at least the Colts have a future at the quarterback position instead of playing you know, these Wheelchair or not wheelchair games. He's uh just going back and forth, you know, between mm-hmm. old guy who's ready for the nursing home instead of having a young guy that they can build around. I think not that he's going to be Josh Allen, not that he's going to be Jalen Hurts, but these guys had a chance to develop early in their careers. I'd like the Colts going this direction, giving Anthony Richardson an opportunity to make mistakes early on in the hope that he's going to get better as his career goes along. And Shane Steichen, his former offensive coordinator in Philadelphia, he's the perfect coach for Anthony Richardson. You saw the work he's done with Jalen Hurts the last couple of years. So the Colts finally getting a young quarterback. That's my intake this week. Yeah, That's I, the I, RPO system that uh, that Steichen worked with Hurts in Philadelphia. Right. So he could work with Anthony Richardson. That's a good pickup right there. Could, yep. be, could be a good I, pickup. I've said the same thing. I think he has potential to be one of the best uh, quarterbacks in the draft. I, I said the same thing, Zach. And I'm not, you know, that's, I'm not even particularly like a Colts fan or I follow the Colts, but I, I do think he's, he's definitely the most athletic quarterback in the draft. You can say, yeah. uh, I think he has a potential to really be good. And like I kind of said earlier in the show, he struggled a little bit in his first uh, series in preseason, picked up a little bit in his uh, later, uh, later series, but, yeah, I, I think he's I, I think he's going to be really good, and I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do um, once the season starts. I'm going to kind of you know piggyback off that a little bit. My intake of the week is NFL teams naming their rookie quarterbacks as starters in general. 
Uh, in particular, more experience and more games during the season. Uh, you know, in particular, the early start of the season is going to allow rookies to really become more comfortable and turn into potential superstars. Uh, we see it from time and time again when, you know, back in the day, well, you know, a year or two ago, even when teams would be hesitant to start their rookies as their, you know, to have their rookie quarterbacks be QB1 uh, in the beginning of the season. They don't really get to develop and shine as much and learn from the mistakes early on. And I think that's going to really help, uh, you know, names like Bryce Young, CJ Shroud and Anthony Richardson, like we just talked about, that's going to really help them kind of blossom earlier on into the season and really help them develop further down the line. And, uh, you know, like I said, learn from learn from the mistakes and get to that uh, status they need to get to for their team even faster. Uh, Zach, who's your outtake of the week? Outtake of the week. I said it last week, ESPN and their NBA decision-making. Like, I'm sorry. Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson were the best announcing team they had, and they just dumped them for Doris Burke and Doc Rivers. Doris Burke, in particular, got on my nerves during the Celtics Sixers series because every time, you know, the Celtics did something, she basically was had a muted reaction. She was all over Joe Embiid and James Harden and all these guys and referred to them by first names and all this kind of stuff. She's a good commentator, but I certainly don't think she should be the number one voice for the NBA Finals. And Doc Rivers, he can't talk at this point, so I don't know how he's going to be able to broadcast games while talking. And then they just decide we're going to dump Mike Greenberg off the pregame show and say whatever you want about Mike Greenberg. He's certainly been around the block, knows the NFL and the NBA very well, and Malika Andrews doesn't really have a ton of experience, and she's kind of been a lightning rod because of how she handles some stories in years past. I think it's time for TNT to take over the Finals. I think NBC is going to get involved, but ESPN and some of their decision-making that they've had as far as personnel, not just in basketball, but, you know, the NFL studio shows are just getting rid of Susie Colbert. Wasn't a big fan of that. I thought she was a consummate professional. Their coverage of Major League Baseball has just gone significantly downhill. So ESPN's personnel decisions, they're hard to explain. Yeah, I was going to ask, you kind of just alluded to it. I was going to ask, any indication of, like, where they might go, the guys that got replaced? Or is there any, like... No, no, not still yet. Kind of just I don't know market. if they have enough. Yeah, yeah, I think some of them might have a non-compete, so they may not be able to start right away. Oh, that's a shame. Well, I'm going to stay in, again, staying in basketball, uh, kind of le- leading off you, Zach. Uh, my outtake of the week is NBA 2K ratings came out for 2K24. Victor Wembanyama is rated at 84. Uh, highest ranked, uh, highest ranked rookie, excuse me, in 2K history. Uh, for reference, LeBron James was a 79 when he came out as a rookie, and then Victor Wembanyama ranked as an 84. Um, and I think I think LeBron even had more hype and more potential than even Wembanyama did. Now again, uh, that, but yeah, I mean, it could be because he was in France too. It may not have gotten as much publicity and as much media as LeBron did, but yeah, no, it's uh to be for to have Victor Wembanyama be even five points higher than LeBron James was is pretty amazing and. Uh, uh, I, I can't wait for NBA to get started and to see him start to play and what he can do just even in his rookie year because just expectations for even his rookie year coming up is, is uh, yeah, pretty amazing. So, well, good show, guys. Uh, that's all we have for today. Football back in, like I said, three weeks. Uh, kickoff Thursday night. Uh, I think it's, what, the ninth? I think it's whatever three weeks is from now. Uh, eighth. Uh, no, seventh. That's the seventh. Yeah, yep, seventh. Lions, Kansas City. Can't wait. Can't happen soon enough. And uh, but yeah, until then, 
Uh, we'll do this again next week. Hopefully more things come out in the sports world we have to talk about. But um, until then, uh, keep on traveling.